So am I free to go, please? <laughs> Lord God, we thank you for who you are. Wonderful, wonderful Lord. We worship you, we glorify you, we thank you that you are present with us here this morning. Lord, I give you this, this message, these words, and I pray that you will move in the heart of each and every one of us, me included. Lord, that we might, as somebody's already said, leave this place different from the way we were when we came in, that we will leave knowing something new of who you are. Thank you, Lord. So, being the school teacher, if I were to ask you for one word that says to you who God is, what would you say? Come on, yell them out. Glorious. Okay. This is heaven. Okay. Eternal, perfect, lovely, only uncaused. That's two words. <laughs> <laughs> You're allowed to. It's a double blessing. <laughs> years and years ago, the uh, decades ago really, those little cartoons Love Is oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, so, so in your mind's eye, imagine a God Is Now personally my own picture of who the Lord is is constantly developing and expanding and I, I couldn't really put it in words except to say that in my heart and in my mind the Lord is far, far more than he ever was before. And in particular, it's the Lord's faithfulness that has captivated me lately. And with that in mind, I'd like to share with you some thoughts from Psalm 89. Now you may want to find Psalm 89 and skim through with me. It's quite a long psalm. Um, but there are certain things in that psalm that I think are really very, very powerful and very appropriate for um, today. Now one of the things to keep in mind when we look at Old Testament things is that we need to remember that the Lord of the Old Testament is still the same Lord today. He hasn't changed. He doesn't change. He can't change. Now, circumstances of life and culture obviously are going to change. And in fact, they do continuously change. And even the Lord's way of dealing with people is different in Old Testament times from what it is today. Yes, he doesn't use the internet. <laughs> <laughs> he does use the internet now, yes, exactly. Now, however, however we might consider things, the Lord God Almighty has not changed within himself and he will not change. He cannot change, just to make the point, I say it about 10 times over. But he actually declared in Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord, I change not. Simple. Now, some while ago when I was reading Psalm 89, there were a couple of verses there that actually did me in. It's a glorious psalm of praise for the faithfulness of the Lord. Now the title in the NIV translation is A Contemplation of Ethan the Ezraite. <laughs> now there are several men called Ethan in the Old Testament, but this one apparently is the one mentioned, 
Oh, sorry. Sorry, is that is that going to be better? Oh, sorry, Andrew. <laughs> the one mentioned in one Kings four thirty one. Now this this Ethan who's mentioned there is very famous for his wisdom, surpassed only by Solomon. Now that's quite some testimonial. Wise to the extent that only Solomon was considered wiser. Now you, you will recall, of course, that when Solomon was first crowned, he had followed his father's advice and prayed to the Lord for wisdom, and boy, did the Lord answer that prayer. Amen. Now in this psalm, Ethan mourns the downfall of David's dynasty, pleading for its restoration. He was confused, and he couldn't reconcile what he knew and believed about God's faithfulness with the seemingly contradiction, contradictory circumstances. It just didn't seem to get adding up. Now, we won't get sidetracked with Solomon's life and that of his descendants, except to say that things went drastically wrong very quickly. Now, even though this Psalm 89 is a lament, it's a cry of deep, deep grief, it actually starts with a very long 37 verses extolling God's covenant faithfulness. That's three quarters of the psalm is talking about God's faithfulness. Now, you might like to read along with me in the first four verses, the psalmist's confidence in the nature of God and in the power of his promise. Verse 1, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said... I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. Now we know that despite David's humanity, he had a very special place in God's heart. You'll be familiar with Acts 13, Paul is citing 1 Samuel 13. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Now, David's life story is a long and very complex one, but... The deepest longing of David's heart was to honour and glorify the Lord. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, we read of his finally bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem with ecstatic joy and celebration. And then in the next chapter, in 2 Samuel 7, verses 1 and 2, after the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of the Lord remains in a tent. And here we see the depth of David's heart devotion to the Lord. 
despite the weaknesses of his humanity. He had a particularly special and extraordinary relationship with the Lord. The Lord God Almighty really genuinely was the centre of David's heart. He was aware of all the victories that the Lord had given him, but particularly he was conscious of the fact that the Lord's home, if you like, was still just a tent, and he was living in a glorious palace. He wanted to be the one who would actually build the Lord a temple that was worthy of who the Lord is. Now his response, the Lord's response to David's heart didn't come straight to him. It was actually given to Nathan in a dream. And in verse 11 of that chapter 7 of 2 Samuel, this is what the Lord said. This did me in two the first time I heard it. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will build a house for you. Now here's a man who wants to build the Lord a house. And the Lord God of heaven and earth says, uh-uh, I'll build you one. Whoa. That's verse 11. The power of that sent me in a spin the first time I read it. I can still see where I was sitting when I read that the first time. I really noticed when the Lord registered it in my brain. Sometimes things take a little while to register in your brain, but never mind, they do sometimes. <laughs> but just, just imagine the impact. Just imagine the impact. The ruler of the universe says to David, I'll build you a house. Now, isn't that just like God? We give him one tiny little bit, and he gives back lavishly. Amen. Lavishly. Now, in fact, of course, it was much, much more than the building of a house. It's impossible to actually speak about all this without using superlatives and words that might sound a little bit OTT. But it's all true. So fasten your seatbelts and enjoy the ride. The Lord made an everlasting, unconditional covenant with this man. That in itself is absolutely spectacular that the Lord God Almighty, creator and sustainer of the universe, should choose to bind himself eternally mm. to a human being. Mm. God's covenant with David was an unconditional divine promise. An unconditional divine promise. Now, any one of us could be in a place of prayer and commitment, and in response, the Lord God makes you a promise. You've had promises from the Lord? Yes? Yes. Now, the, the thing is that when the Lord God makes you a promise from the throne room of heaven, it can never be rescinded. It can never be changed. It can never be forgotten regardless of what you do, what your descendants do, or what the enemy chooses to throw at you. Mm. Yes. Absolutely nothing can prevent the Lord's promise from being fulfilled. Whew. 
That's a little bit staggering, I think. And the wonderful news is that he already has. Now first, before we look at the specifics for you and me, this covenant with King David was to establish a dynasty on the throne of Israel and so to provide God's people forever with a godly king like David and bring Israel into the fullness of rest in the promised land. Now 2 Samuel chapter 7. Five times I will make your name great. I will provide a place for you. I will give you rest. I will establish the throne. I will be his father. Think he meant it? <laughs> Verse 16 says, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. That's the promise that Ethan was reminding the Lord about. In verse 1 4 of Psalm 89. Now he goes on in verse 5. The heavens praise your wonders, Lord, your faithfulness too in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the Holy Ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? We sang that this morning. You, Lord, are mighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. Ethan's worship continues in verse 13 and 14. Your arm is endowed with power. Your hand is strong, your right hand exalted. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Then verse 30 to 32 is the most extraordinary part of the psalm and most extraordinary part of the covenant really in a way. That even if, even if David's descendants were to forsake the law of God, They'd still be punished accordingly, but the covenant would still be honoured. As the books 1 Kings and 2 Kings record, many of David's descendants were indeed particularly ungodly men, many of them committing outrageous acts of rebellion and blasphemy, even forcing the people into horrible idolatry. But God... Remember, his promise to David was an unconditional, eternal promise. He had said about Solomon earlier that if he did wrong, he would punish him. But my love will not be taken from him. The Lord's promise to David would be upheld regardless of the godliness or not of his descendants. That just blows me away. That's extraordinary. And there's the gospel message right there. Amen. There's the gospel message. And now I want the psalm to speak for itself. Verse 33 and 34. I will not take my love from him, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. 
I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. Once for all, I have spoken by my holiness and I will not lie to David. Now the Passion Translation puts it this way. Now I will never, no never, lift my faithful love from off their lives. My kindness will prevail and I will never disown them. How could I revoke my covenant of love that I promised David? For I have given him my word, my holy, irrevocable word. How could I lie to my loving servant David? Can't you just hear yes, God's thank heart? You, Lord. Can't you hear his heart? Mm, Four times he says it. Four times. Maybe he actually really meant every last syllable. He's making a particularly powerful point. The cry of God's heart that comes from the very depths of his being. This is a solemn covenant that abhors the very suggestion of anything other than his faithfulness. Yes. Now, just to remind us. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Numbers 23:19 says, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Isaiah 14:24. The Lord Almighty has sworn, surely as I have planned, so it will be. And as I have purposed, so it will happen. And he says it again in Isaiah 46, in case we're all a bit thick and don't get the message the first time. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. Now, as we all know, the human line of kings after David fell very full, short of God's promises. And the whole nation, of course, eventually went into exile. So then we get to verse 38 of the psalm and Ethan's lament. And he's even accusing the Lord. He's full of grief and confusion. He's just poured out this glorious song of praise, extolling the Lord's faithfulness, his mercy and his great love. But he sees Israel in a place that seems to contradict absolutely everything he believed about God. The psalmist clearly held firmly to his trust in that faithfulness, but he struggled bitterly with the circumstances around him. He could not understand what the Lord could possibly be doing. How could he possibly go back on such incredibly powerful promises? What was going on? Why was all this happening? I want to believe that you're faithful, Lord, but look at everything that's been happening and still is. Does this sound a bit familiar, oh. by the way? <laughs> Why? Why? Have you ever been in that place? Well, I have. Oh. I'm sure you all have. Some of us are there already now. But we're asking, why? Why? 
Now, Ethan might not have realised it, but he actually answered his own question before he asked it. If you go back to verse 14, verse 14 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. In his praise of the incomparable might and faithfulness of God, he had actually included God's moral greatness, righteousness and justice. In Psalm 85, verse 10 and 11, we read, Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. In other words, wickedness has to be punished. Still, despite all of that, the psalmist was able to find a degree of peace in his confusion because if you look at the last verse, he ends it at Psalm 52 with a hard-fought declaration of praise. Praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. It's as if he was saying, Lord, I haven't a clue what is going on, but I know that you are good and righteous and true. Blessed be the Lord forever. And now for the really exciting part. It's exciting, first of all, because it links to what Robbie was talking about last week. But much more than that, it's exciting because it directly affects every single one of us. We know that everything the psalmist wrote about our covenant-keeping God is true. He is just that, a covenant-keeping God. Now, there was a partial fulfillment of the promise to David when Solomon took the throne, but the real fulfillment of the Lord's unconditional divine promise to David, guess what? <laughs> Came in Messiah. Jesus, the son of David. Amen. There is a king who rules and reigns on David's throne, just as Yahweh promised. Mm. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, we're familiar with as a Christmas story. But verse 7 is the Lord's promise to David fulfilled. For unto us a child, no, for us a for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. That's what we sing. Yes. Verse 7. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom. Amen. To establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness, from then on and forevermore. Now when the angel Gabriel visited Mary to announce that she was about to give birth to a very special little boy, the angel said to Mary, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. There is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy and of the Lord's promise to King David. And Paul mentions it twice as well. 
He introduced his letter to the Romans, chapter 1, verse 3. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel, the gospel he promised beforehand through his promises, prophets in the old of the holy scriptures, regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And later on in Acts, he, he quotes that passage from Samuel about David being a man after God's own heart. Now Isaiah 55, verses 1 and 3, is the Lord's loving invitation to anyone who is hungry or thirsty in their souls. There's a glorious promise to everyone who responds. Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. Listen to this one. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. So the faithful love promised to David is an everlasting covenant the Lord wants to make with you. If you come to the waters, if you come when you respond to the call of the Lord, in exactly the same way, that he made an everlasting covenant with David, so the Lord God Almighty binds himself to anyone who calls out on his name. It's the Lord's personal promise. What a wonderful, glorious promise. The Lord God of heaven promises the same eternal covenant with any single individual person who responds to his invitation. To all who call on the name of the Lord Jesus, our faithful, covenant-keeping God has bound himself to us in an eternal, unconditional, unbreakable covenant. Jesus Christ Father's only son offered himself as the sacrificial lamb. It's what Janet was talking about. This is why we remember. This is what we remember. He offered himself as the sacrificial lamb and by that sacrifice, by the shedding of his holy blood, the eternal covenant was sealed. It is finished, Jesus cried from the cross. The final act had been completed and Father's promise kept. On the cross of Calvary, Jesus took the full punishment for all mankind's rebellion, for all mankind, for all time. His precious blood was shed for the remission of our sins, for our freedom from condemnation and freedom from the curse of sin and death. In exchange, we are made acceptable in his sight. We sang, you are my righteousness. 
freedom from condemnation and the curse of sin and death. The old was taken away and we are new in Christ, redeemed by his blood, healed, restored, forgiven, accepted, made co-heirs with Christ. And I remember the last time I spoke, I said, I'd love to read you the whole of chapter 1 and the whole of chapter 2 of Ephesians. It's all there. Chosen, predestined, adopted, forgiven, lavished with God's love, his grace and his mercy. So then I have to ask myself, am I living in the fullness of that covenant? Or am I still battling well below the level, the fullness of my rights and privileges under this covenant? Have I ever really meditated on the impact of what Jesus has given me? When I'm struggling or confused about what's going on, Do I really have a grasp of the significance of the new covenant with which the Lord God Almighty has eternally bound himself to me? Amen. I was was on a Zoom prayer meeting yesterday and the lady who was leading it said, love the Lord for who he is and love you for who he has made you to be. And when we think about it, Jesus said, love your neighbour as yourself. Well, if I don't love myself the way God made me to be, how can I possibly hope to love my neighbour? Can't do it. Remember, I just can't say this often enough. The Lord God makes you and me a promise from the throne of heaven that can never be rescinded. It can never be changed. And it will never be forgotten. Regardless of what you do, what I do, what our descendants do, or what the enemy throws at you. And we've been given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of the fullness of all that. Two Corinthians chapter five. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone, excuse me, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled himself to us through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's us loving our neighbour as we love ourselves. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And please remember those words of verse 33 and 34 of our psalm. I will not take my love from him. I will not ever betray my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant. I will not alter a single word my lips have uttered. That is the Lord's commitment to you and me. How can we not surrender 
and give ourselves totally to that goal. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so back to the psalm. Once for all I have sworn by my holiness, and I will not lie to David, his line will continue forever, and his throne will endure before me like the sun. Jesus, son of David, son of God, is seated forever at the right hand of Father in heaven. And let's never forget Hebrews 8 verse 6. The ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on far more wonderful promises. Thank you. Let me finish with the words of Charles Spurgeon. Jesus still enjoys the divine favour, and we are in him. And therefore, under the most trying circumstances, the Lord's loving kindness to each one of his chosen will endure the strain. But utterly and altogether, he never can remove his love from them. For that would be to cast a reflection on his own truth. And this he will never allow. Man fails in all points, but God in none. To be faithful is one of the eternal characteristics of God, in which he always places a greater part of his glory. I'll say that again. To be faithful is one of the eternal characteristics of God in which he always places a great part of his glory. His truth is one of his peculiar treasures and crown jewels, and he will never endure that it should be tarnished in any degree. That passage sweetly assures us that the heirs of glory shall not be utterly off. There's multiple glories in here, but here's just four of them. God ties himself first to David. Jesus fulfills that covenant promise to David. God ties himself to humanity. Jesus makes a new covenant that is with us that is eternally unbreakable. Many times before when I've been sharing, I've mentioned a chorus that I heard many decades ago but has never left me. And I think it would be nice if we spend a few moments now in prayer just contemplating these things that I've shared with you with the faithfulness of God, the covenant made on the cross and the shedding of Jesus' blood. You might like to pray these words quietly together. I'm yours, Lord. Everything I've got, everything I am and everything I'm not, I'm yours, Lord. Take me now and see. See if I can be completely yours. But let's just take a few minutes. Wendy will play just very softly. <clears throat> and just let the Holy Spirit speak into your heart. He is faithful. 
He has bound himself eternally to you and me. Let's just worship him deep in his heart and, and let the Holy Spirit just speak into our hearts now. Jesus, that you were prepared to be the sacrifice, to actually be the sacrifice when you made that new covenant with Father. Oh God, Lord God, we love you, Lord, we surrender to you, we invite you, Lord God be in total and absolute control of every part of who we are. Tell him how absolutely stunningly magnificent and glorious he is. Amen. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. His name is Jesus. He is the King. He is the King. 